In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're going to have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. Talking today about physical therapy and wellness. What is the line? Where do we draw it? Where did it come from? Everything that we need to know about that. Guys, but first, Nicole, you had a question on a DM that just kind of took both of us aback a little bit. Yeah. You know, sometimes we're just so in our own world that we forget that not everybody knows what we're doing all the time. So I got a a DM that was like, seemed very surprised that we do clinical courses. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, there's like six of them. There's four full length ones. There's two little master classes, which are actually pretty robust. We also do business mentorship, so we just thought we're just going to take a half a beat here and remind you who we are and who is doing this podcast. So we are Jesse and Nicole Cozine. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. We both together run Pelvic Sanity, which is a brick-and-mortar pelvic PT practice, cash-based practice in Orange County, California, which for those of you who do not know where that is, it is halfway between San Diego and Los Angeles in California. We also have a second business called Pelvic PT Rising. You can go to pelvicptrising.com and figure out all the things we do there. We have two arms of that business. It is one arm is clinical, where I do online clinical courses and education for pelvic rehab providers. And the second arm of that is business. We have a ton of business resources. You can take our Public Health Entrepreneurs Survey to see if any of our resources are right for you. If you are looking to start a cash-based pelvic health practice, we can help you. Jesse and I also do that together. What else do we do, Jess? Well, Pelvicon. Oh my gosh, Pelvicon. Duh. We just had our first annual Pelvicon, co-founded with Jessica and Andrew Riel of Southern Pelvic Health. Pelvicon was freaking amazing. So the first one was in 2022. This is going to be a yearly thing for the foreseeable future. So watch out for more information Regardless of when you're listening to this podcast, just remember to look at that. Yep. So that's at pelvicptrising.com. If you wanted to see on the clinical side all the different things, in the last couple of years, we've helped about 1,400 clinicians get more confident, deliver better patient outcomes on the clinical side. We've helped almost 200 businesses grow, thrive, scale on that, especially in that cash-based pelvic health space. So that's us. That's what we're doing. And Nicole... Physical therapy versus wellness. And I know you always want to take a step back and start with the question, what do we believe that our role is in the lives of patients? Yeah, you know, this is like a hot button topic. And I feel like there's been a lot of chatter over the years that the pelvic PT huddle has been a thing. For those of you who don't know what the pelvic PT huddle is, it is our Facebook group free for 
any pelvic health practitioner and, and frequently will get questions about, you know, oh, can I see this person for wellness? Where do you draw the line? And all of this. Now, too long, don't read. The assertion here is going to be that is it really necessary for us to draw any line at all? But that is like just a something that I think has been ingrained in our minds from physical therapy school, how this notion of skilled physical therapy, as you will see looking at this podcast, it also comes from insurance companies. But what I want you all to open your minds to as you look at this podcast today is what do you truly believe our role is in our patients' lives? And when we go back to the foundational principle of that, then I think you'll start to see that it's actually not very helpful to start to waste time thinking about where this arbitrary wellness PT line actually is. This is something that as an outsider to the profession is just befuddling to me. There's a couple of things about physical therapy, pelvic health in specific that are very confusing to those who are not in there, who have not been through the PT school indoctrination process. But <laughs> where we're talking about this and people were asking this question, I was like, wait, Nicole, wait, what are people even asking about? Like, what is even the difference between health and wellness? And why would there be? And I really feel like this is a distinction without a difference. Like, when does something, like, could anybody ever get too well? Can we be like, oh, no, that person's doing too good. We need to, like, pull them back to, like, regular health because wellness is, is not good enough. It just, why would there be a distinction there? And that's one of the things that we wanted to, to actually answer that question. Where does this idea that there is a difference between physical therapy and wellness or prevention or maintenance, where does that idea come from? And I feel like everyone kind of assumes that this is like a legal thing. And so that was the first place that you go to check. It does not come from anything legal. It does not come from the law. It does not come from your state practice act, which is what actually governs what is and is not allowed. So let's grab that and toss it out. It's not a legal thing. You are 100% completely legally allowed to do preventative care, wellness, maintenance, work with people who don't have active symptoms, help train somebody and do personal training. You can do any of those things legally with zero problem. So the next question was, well, maybe this is coming from like the APTA. The, the APTA, if this is a big enough thing in the field, the APTA has to say something about this, right? And the interesting thing is, is that the APTA, for some of the challenges it has even, but specifically promotes prevention and wellness services. In fact, I'm going to read from this and quote, APTA position statement says, physical therapists play a unique role in society in prevention, wellness, fitness, health promotion, and management of disease and disability. I just want to say that one more time, because remember, in this whole list, disease and disability come last. Physical therapists, according to the APTA, play a unique role in society in prevention, wellness, fitness, health promotion, and management of disease and disability. And in fact, they go on to say that for their role in prevention, wellness, fitness, and health promotion, physical therapists should incorporate concepts of prevention, wellness, fitness, and health promotion with every patient or client as appropriate. Dude, you guys. Does it sound like the APTA is all worried about PT versus wellness? Like seriously, this is huge. And 
Of course, you can also insert into that all of what we do in pelvic health, right? So gosh, I want that to sink in. We're going to like take a two second pause. Seriously, let that sink in. Every single patient, according to our governing body, says that we should be implementing this into our patient care, our client care, whatever you want to say. Like, seriously, you guys. So, so if it's not the law, if it's not what the APTA says. And it's not common sense, because this is the third thing that we can kind of just do a self-check on. Like, is it ethical? Is this a, there's an ethical constraint to doing this? Like, oh, it's unethical to... Get people well. <laughs> right? And just Optimize so you guys care. know, we'll do a little bit more on this later, but like the World Health Organization, just a simple definition of wellness is the active pursuit of optimal health. Do any of us have a problem helping people actively pursue optimal health? I would and say, in our case, optimal pelvic health. And we would say... No. Right. And that's why you went to PT school. That's why you are in debt right now is because you wanted really badly to help people have an active pursuit of optimal health. So if it's not from the law, it's not from the APTA or governing body, it's not from common sense or ethics, where does it come from? Well, I hope that longtime listeners of this podcast are going to know what Nicole would call the bastardization of physical therapy. Yes. The culprit as usual, is insurance companies. And a little bit of PT schools as well because they are also taking insurance companies and what we get, quote unquote, paid for out of what we actually need to do to serve patients. So it's both of those places because I'm sure that when you were going to PT school, you started to hear the phrase skilled PT and this overutilization of services and we can't see people too long. Otherwise it goes into who knows, like this negative abyss of how dare you dependency and all this nonsense. Right. So, but what that really comes from, if you trace that back is the insurance companies bastardization of our field in, they don't want to pay for a long plan of care. Well, they frankly don't want to care for it, pay for anything. Right? The less money, just as a refresher here, right? Insurance companies make money by cashing everybody's premium checks and then holding on to as much of that as humanly possible. That is their business model. There's inherently a contradiction of interest between the patient and between the insurance company. The insurance company makes more money for its shareholders, which is its primary purpose, if they refuse to pay out as much as humanly possible. So that's where this comes from. They don't want to pay for somebody's optimal health. They want to pay for the minimum possible. And we've all heard stories where it's like, I don't understand why they would pay for this surgery, but not pay for the preventative care, right? That we all know that that exists on some level. Well, it exists a ton in our field as well. So, and I want to think about this because this is actually a really interesting way to think about this is really we're arguing over what the baseline is, right? What's the baseline that we can have? So the insurance company would argue we need to set the baseline at exactly what the person was immediately before their most recent problem or injury. So you've got somebody, you know, call him Jesse, who has all these aches and pains and can't go play basketball anymore because his knee hurts, right? And all of this stuff, and I'm not sleeping great and all those things. 
and then all of a sudden you sprain your ankle. Well, the insurance company believes that you should set the baseline as all of those other problems are still existing, but you should be able to help them get their ankle back to good and then leave all of those other aches and pains and suboptimal things and weird posture and all the rest of that stuff alone, right? That's their baseline. And what you can say as a human being, as a caring, compassionate medical professional is that, no, my baseline is as good as that person can be. My baseline for them is optimal health. How do I get them to optimal health? Well, sure, I got to help that sprained ankle first and foremost, so I'm not limping around, but can I also help those aches and pains and get them back to doing what they love to do and all of the rest of the things that you are uniquely trained to do? So that's really the question that we're arguing about here. The insurance company is saying, hey, let's set the baseline as low as possible. And then, cool, you met that baseline in two visits, fantastic. We're going to take all those extra visits and we're going to pocket that and send it back to our shareholders in the form of dividends at the end of the year. And as a physical therapist, as an occupational therapist, as somebody who's a medical professional, you very well might be saying, that's not enough for me. I think optimal health is the baseline. What is the best that we could be and how do we help you get there? And so that's where we're really talking about. So to kind of end this segment, this line, this artificial distinction between physical therapy and wellness, physical therapy and prevention, physical therapy and maintenance, physical therapy and health promotion, physical therapy and fitness, those are not legal issues. Those are not from the APTA. Those are not ethical issues. Those strictly come from insurance companies wanting to limit what they pay out. And we've created that. Now, let's talk about, Nicole, this overutilization of services argument, because this is crazy to me. This gets me freaking fired up, you guys. So, so I want you to think about any other service profession, anything, literally any other service where they're like, please do not come back here once we get you to kind of okay, may be able to do something well for yourself, never, never, never come back here again. I don't want to see you in my office again, right? Could you imagine going to a lawyer and being like, you know what? I'm actually not sure that this is a thing. You know, you can just like look up the law online and, you know, I think that you could do some just course online to like fix that problem. And you could probably figure out how to write a brief by yourself. And like, that would be absolutely absurd. Yet a lot of times PTs will try to get somebody out of their office and quote unquote independent as possible without actually guiding them that way. Right. And this is where we, we are going to end up talking about where symptoms play a role too here, but but we've been indoctrinated by PT schools and by insurance companies to, with this notion of, well, I can only provide quote unquote skilled physical therapy. And if it's not skilled, which is whatever that means, we're overutilizing pelvic PT or PT services. Is that really a problem with anybody? Do we really feel like the majority of the population is trying to go to physical therapy too much? Most people don't even know physical therapy exists. You're going to shit on chiropractors, but that's everybody's first call. And so like that is, there is no overutilization of services. This is not the problem. The problem is a dramatic underutilization of service. That people aren't coming when they should be coming. If they do come, they're not coming for as long as they should be coming. 
And they're not coming for all the reasons that they could be coming. Like we, as a profession, physical therapy is dramatically underutilized and yet overutilization is preached. And why is that? Again, that's trickling in from the benefit of the insurance company. And it always goes back to this tension between what is best for patients and what is best for insurance companies. And most times those two things are not aligned. And so we really have a question, who do we serve? Between those two things, who do we serve? And it's frankly shocking that so much of that that insurance company nonsense has trickled its way into the curriculum that people are taught, that people come out of physical therapy school with one of the primary concerns being overutilization of service. Again, think about another profession like that. Do lawyers come out of law school saying, oh gosh, I think one of the big problems we have is too many people are going to lawyers. Do dentists come out and say, oh man, I want to work myself out of a job. Here, hold this drill. I'm going to show you how to take out your own cavity. <laughs> right? I mean, it seems absurd. It is absurd. And th that's the same level of education, right? This is a doctorate level education. What other doctorate level professional believes, A, that people don't use their service enough? You think any dentist out there thinks that people go to the dentist too often? And B, thinks that their job is to work themselves out of a job, get somebody out of their office as soon as humanly possible. Like both of those are ludicrous things that we, we don't even step back and say like, wait, why am I being taught that? Why is that? Or why do I think that? Because yeah. here's the thing. I think we come out of PT school or we very quickly, because of what we've been taught in PT school and by the insurance company, we automatically, and I'm going to use chiropractors as an example, because I feel like this is a big place where we hit heads in the medical profession where PTs and chiropractors don't typically like each other. We feel, but why? Why, when we really think about it, what have we been told? What have we been taught? What do we kind of think, right? Is that chiropractors are overutilizing patient services. They are keeping patients for too long. They are telling people to come in two and three times a week for prevention, for, well, I'm going to have a, a patient for life. If you go to a chiropractor, it's like, yeah, they're doing a freaking great job at number one, marketing to the public. And now we can have an argument on how they do that, but that's a whole different story. But chiropractors have done an excellent job of to the public saying, this is what we can provide. And this is what we think you need in order to have optimal health and wellness. Now we can disagree on how they actually get there and what techniques they use. And then there's some that go off the rails a little bit with a little bit of weird stuff, but the reality is, is that as a profession, they have really done a great job of educating the public on how they can help them. And so as much as we shit on chiropractors for doing all the things, it's we're shitting on them because, not because we actually think that that's so terrible, but because we've been told that that's terrible by other people. Yeah. In fact, they're probably doing a much better job of, as the APTA says, incorporating concepts of prevention, wellness, fitness, and health promotion with every patient or client as appropriate. Yeah. That's literally what we're supposed to be doing. Right. And, and is it that terrible if one type of professional thinks that doing manipulations on the spine is that that's what they think they can do that? What, what is ours? We have the neuromuscular, musculoskeletal expertise and movement analysis and, and therapeutic exercises and stuff like that to impart on our patients. And that's what we think is going to be utilizing that wellness the best, right? So that's fine, but don't shit on them just because they're getting patients 
to buy into their profession more than we are. Like that's not allowed. <laughs> yes. So that's kind of the second piece here is we really don't believe. And if you guys disagree with any of this, this is where we want to have this conversation. That's what the pelvic PT huddle is all about. That's what you want you guys to write in. But are we really ever actually seeing overutilization of services? Is that really something that happened where people are so excited to come to physical therapy that they're just coming in over and over again for no reason at all without getting any benefit from it, right? That, that whole idea is just ludicrous. So what is overutilization? Overutilization is insurance companies not wanting to pay for that. Like that's it. So, And I think too, I want you guys to understand like the amazing amount of knowledge that we can impart on people, right? If we really think back to like, what can we provide people? especially in the pelvic health world where sexual health education, pelvic health education is so terrible from the time that we're little to adulthood, through adulthood, into menopause and older age. Like the amount of education that people, the general public gets about that is so ridiculously low and not good that we have, I would say, even a bigger obligation in some of those other professions to take people and educate and create wellness and optimize health in, especially in the pelvic health world. Like if we think that we're overutilizing services, then we're also not confident in our abilities to provide value to our patients. And that goes back again, as a non-clinician, somebody who's external to the field, I look at everything that physical therapists can do and just say like, this is crazy. You guys have so much knowledge and so many opportunities to improve people's lives. Like I know one of the things you talk about, Nicole, a lot with your patients, you talk a lot about sleep. And it's like, man, that person might have a, we know the studies, right? Is people live longer, they're happier, less depression, they lose weight when they sleep well. You could have one visit talking about their sleep habits that literally affects every aspect of their life from now until the day they die for the next 50 years, their life is going to be better because you sat down with them for 15 minutes and talked to them about having a dark place and the right temperature of the room and all the, whatever else you can talk about with sleep, <laughs> Jesse. all those other things. But seriously, but, but, and then you want to talk about one of my master classes on nervous system downregulation. You want to talk about nervous system downregulation. You know, want to know where their nervous system gets probably some of the most, the biggest repair at night and emotional repair at night is during sleep. So I feel like there are, again, we're in a very, very, the APTA said it, right? a unique, we have a unique opportunity to, in the medical field where we have enough time and we have enough knowledge to really impart some of our wellness services onto people, right? And I want to take that back to pelvic health specifically, Nicole, because I thought that was a really great point that you made about just how poor our pelvic health understanding is all the way through. I mean, you talk about this as a lifetime relationship with your patients. We went back to that original question, what role do you have in patients' lives? Well, I mean, from menstrual health to pregnancy support to sexual health to postpartum care to, to menopause, like there aren't resources for people through all of this. Like, even if there was no nothing quote unquote wrong at any of those stages. Yeah. Is there not a place for us to do so much education and making sure that the person's pelvic floor and pelvic health is 
ready to meet the different challenges that it goes through, right? So it just baffles me that we even have to talk about this. And it makes me frustrated because again, this isn't a legal problem. This isn't an ethical issue. This isn't anything except for infiltrating shit thoughts into our mind about what we can be doing for patients. And we've let that happen over time to the point that we don't even recognize it anymore. And they have a bunch of people that are like marching along being like, oh, I don't, I want to work myself out of a job. I can't treat somebody. What do I even do when somebody comes in and says, I feel great today? Or I just wanted to check in after having a baby. I don't have anything wrong, but I would love to just have somebody examine and see how things are going. Yeah. We're kind of like short out a little bit. We're like, oh God, you know, can I do that? Sure. I'll give you one visit. It's like, really? You don't think that we have a role in more than one visit of a postpartum wellness check? Like, are you kidding me? Do you know how many things are happening that will happen in that person's body over the next 18 months? And building a proper foundation for the next baby or the a lifestyle of like an active lifestyle postpartum? Like, are you kidding? They don't have to have something wrong for us to impart a lot of our wisdom. The woman coming in as she starts menopause, somebody coming in to optimize sexual health, like there's value that you guys can provide in each of those things. And that really is the question you're saying is, what is our role? Where can I provide value? And then it's between you and the patient. And if a patient, I mean, this is the thing that also with all of this talk that really frustrates me as a more of a patient role or a patient mindset, right? It takes away the autonomy from the patient. You as the patient aren't intelligent enough to understand what I'm doing or what the value is that I can provide. So I have to make the decision for you that you can't come in, that you shouldn't be coming in that much. Or you've gotten, quote, better enough. Right. Who says better enough? I'm the patient. Am I better enough? I don't know. Fucking ask me. I'll tell you. Right. If I want to walk out the door immediately, that's fine. Like, that's totally fine. But I also don't know that you can do all of these other different things. You could actually watch me exercise and see what I'm doing wrong. Why I get a headache after I do pull-ups? Cool. Can we do that? You can talk to me about sleep. You can talk to me about nutrition. You can talk to me about all these different things to optimize my health. Great. Right. Let me know about it and I will make an informed decision. But, but give me that ability as a patient to make that decision. Don't take that out of my hands because of some weird, vague worry about overutilization of services and trying to save insurance companies money. You mean, and like, did any of that, like if Jesse came in to you guys with an ankle sprain, like, does anybody think that asking him about like his basketball training and doing pull-ups is, is terrible? Like, no, just like if somebody comes in with a, with original art um, issue with stress urinary incontinence, that we're asking them about bowel health and sexual health and other things. And if we're uncovering things that might be interrelated or might affect their future pelvic health, then it's our obligation to go into those areas. And if they say, I'm actually fine, it's like, well, do they really have the information to know that they're fine? Are you actually educating on what's normal and typical in terms of bowel movement, sexual health, right? A lot of people have adopted a poor level of of health and being fine with that because it's what it's all that they know, right? So whenever I talk to my patients, I'm like, we're going to end up, we're going to get these symptoms to go away. And then we're going to talk about goals that you never even thought you could do. 
because we're here to optimize your pelvic health and your pelvic floor and really optimize your your life into where do you want to go? What do you want to do? I can help you do that. Is that overutilization of my expertise? Hell no. Absolutely. And you know, one of the realizations, just to give you guys an example of this and where it kind of like has infiltrated, I thought we had a, there was a really good example about a year ago. I think we had put out a post at Pelvic Sanity about how every pregnant person can benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy. And another pelvic floor physical therapy comes onto that post, which you guys know what we think about that whole side and the evidence police and all that, but basically says like, I don't know how you can say that. What's the evidence? Where's the paper for that? I was like, listen, bitch, (laughs) like, come on. I mean, you shouldn't even be in this field if you have to ask me that question. But then I got to thinking too, and I was like, how sad, how sad is it that, that somebody in our field that's treating patients right now does not believe that we have something to, to provide a value for every single person on the freaking face of this planet that's pregnant. Yes. Or not even that's pregnant. Let's expand even further, right? (laughs) But that's a perfect, perfect example of how it is a self-limiting belief. And it's indoctrinated. And the thing that I think is really interesting to realize as we go back to where did that come from and to realize it's not from the law, it's not from our governing body, it's not from common sense, it's to save insurance companies money. That is the basis of all this. So Nicole, having talked about all of that, let's get practical, right? That's all of the pie in the sky. What do we really think? Hopefully that fires you guys up a little bit and makes you think a little bit differently about is there a line between these things and where it is. And let's just really just quickly just summarize, right? There is no line. There is no line between what we are doing as intervening on somebody's symptoms and optimizing their pelvic health. There is no line. There is. So when someone says, where's the line? It's like the answer is there is none. So because we have, most of us have doctorates, we have doctorate level education in pelvic health, right? We have physical therapy, occupational therapy doctorates, and then we go on to do extra specialization, which means that every single interaction that I have with a patient is utilizing that doctor level skill. It's never like I turn off my doctorate level pelvic PT brain and I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to turn that off and then I'm going to turn on like the blank brain. My CSCS. I mean, yeah, it's like that's just right. It's like that doesn't work like that. So if someone wants to come to me and talk to me about maybe had a pelvic floor problem, we've gotten them better. Now we're talking about running or doing something else. Guess what? Am I qualified to do that? Yes. I'm a physical therapist. I'm a, I'm also an ortho PT and I'm a pelvic PT. So yes, we can do that. And just because I don't have any pain with running or issues, I can look at their body in a different way and take into account all of my pelvic health knowledge and analyze their running form. For instance, that's wellness but there is no line between what I'm doing with my PT brain and what I'm offering to that patient. There's no line, which also means that there's no problem with me filling out a super bill to say exactly what I'm doing. If I'm doing neuromuscular re-ed that day, if I'm doing Therex that day, if I'm doing manual therapy that day, just because they don't have active symptoms doesn't mean I'm not doing physical therapy, right? I'm doing wellness in, in the context of my pelvic PT brain, therefore, I'm going to put down whatever it is that I'm actually doing. 
And you have language to support that, right? That is, if you put your hands on somebody, manual physical therapy. If you're having them exercise, that is... Therex. If you are working on some sort of coordination or whatever, that is neuromuscular re-ed, right? So as long as we're not lying about what we're doing, then we're good to go. And guess what? We have built in things about whether or not that's fine, right? If you're in a cash-based world, right? We still have built-in things. If the patient doesn't find that valuable, they're not going to come in. You're not going to have to worry about overutilization, especially in a cash-based practice, because they're not going to come in and pay me $200 if they don't think that that was $200 worth of value. And ironically, you have a built-in overutilization of services for freaking ins- in an insurance-based practice because they're going to freaking deny your claim or deny your visits. Right. Probably prematurely. But you know what I mean? Like you don't have to worry about it. Like so, but what I want you to guys to be doing is actually providing the care that you feel like patients need and fulfilling the role that you be- believe that you should be in patients' lives. And that is an excellent point, Nicole, on like the consequences of doing wellness, let's just say, right? The consequence is the insurance company decides not to pay for it. That's it. That's literally it. You're not committing any kind of insurance fraud by sending it in because you're telling them exactly what you're doing. As long as everything is you're saying is true, the patient came in, you did these things, you documented it, that's it. Like there's no wellness prevention police. And if there was, and those police were sent by the APTA, they'd be asking you, why aren't you doing more wellness and prevention and fitness? That's what we're supposed to be doing at every visit. We'd have to be a little bit careful about having the wellness police coming in, right? But there's a built-in, that's Nicole's point, there's a built-in check and balance here is that the insurance company can always exercise their ability to decide not to pay. And I'm sure they'll do it. And I'm sure you've seen it. (laughs) Right? And I'm sure you've seen it in times when it wasn't wellness, right? And it's not, (laughs) let's not pretend that they are a fair and just arbiter of who needs physical therapy and how much they get, right? They are looking out after their own bottom line. That is the system that we have set up. So practically speaking, let's talk about this from the different viewpoints here, Nicole. One is just to get back to focus on the patient instead of concerns for saving the insurance company money. Yeah. So just do your job. Do what you have been educated. Do what you're passionate about. Do what you think is the best for the patient at that time. And I would even postulate that you have an obligation, regardless of insurance reimbursement, to tell them what you think you can help them with, right? So that they can make a choice. And if your facility is not going to be able to see them more, If you can't see them more at your facility, then what obligation do you have to also refer them on to another pelvic floor physical therapist that might have the ability that doesn't have those constraints? Because we need to get back to focusing on the patient and what we can provide to the patient. And that is a ton of support and education and symptom resolution, including all across a friggin' lifespan. And then somebody doesn't have to have something quote unquote wrong with them for us to be able to serve them. Perfect. So one, get back to focus on the patient. Two, if you are in an insurance-based practice, you're playing in their sandbox. So we get that there are going to be ways that you are going to have to 
live within these structures, right? That is what we agree to do if we are working in an insurance-based model. They do get to set the rules because they are the ones basically paying you for services. You're working for them. You abide by their rules. But just remember that you are stuck in the middle of this conflict between the patient needs and what the insurance company's interest is. And that is the ethical morass that we have to navigate with that is where, where do you feel comfortable with that? And just understanding though, that that's not coming from the law. That's not coming from the APTA. That's not coming from what you can actually help patients with. That is coming from the insurance company. And then you are stuck in that, that situation where you're having to navigate it. And if that's what you've chosen to do, and if that's what you have to do, then that is totally fine. And, and you maybe you can look at ways to get a little savvy within that within that sandbox. And we've all been there. Like I've been there, right? Where and that's also where you can get. Like I mean, how many times did I quote unquote discharge somebody from physical therapy for their low back and be like, "Wow, you have a hip pain now." Guess what? We're doing the same damn thing. I'm still treating their pelvic floor dysfunction, but we ran out of time on that, so we're having to like, you know, do the things. I mean, we there are ways to play in that sandbox, so we're definitely not saying that like, "Oh, that's so terrible if you have to work in an insurance-based model." It's not, but we do need you to realize where this is all coming from so that we can still advocate for what for the full breadth of what our profession should be doing to help patients the best. And three, if you're in a cash-based system, there's no distinction. You put what you honestly did on your receipt for your patient and you let them send it in and you let their insurance company dictate what their insurance company is going to do. If you are looking, if that sounds nice to not have to worry about that, we actually have a whole hiring directory of people who are in our business mentorship program. I think almost 50 of our people all across the country are hiring right now. You can find that at pelvicptrising.com hiring if you're looking to make a move or at least explore what it would be like in a cash-based practice or obviously starting your own. But that's that. There is no distinction. And it's between you and the patient, right? Just like it, frankly, it should be. Like it is with every other profession. Is it worth it to the patient to come in and see you? Are you providing the kind of value that they can see and feel in their body? The answer is yes. Then you guys have no problem. Yeah, we're good to go. And you just put honest things in your documentation. You honestly give them a super bill for it. We have a lot of people like, oh, can I give a super bill for that? Hell yes. Because like I said, you can't like take off your PT hat. You are a PT or OT, like that's what you're doing. And so any intervention that you do that day is that we, you know, we, there was a thread in the huddle where I was talking that I asked the question, like, where's the line? What do you think the line is? And they were, said something like, oh, well, if it's more of a passive treatment. And I was like, just no, like, like this doesn't make sense because even if I never touch somebody, we've all had patients where we don't touch them that day. We don't do any sort of manual therapy. Like that's still intervention that we're doing. We still have codes for that, like Therax and Theract. And like, that's still something that we're doing. So with our PT hat on, we can't make that distinction go away. And why are we trying to make that distinction? Again, for the benefit of an insurance company. Why? Just put down on your receipt exactly what you did with the patient that day. And the insurance company then has the ability to approve or deny it. 
And your patient has the ability to appeal that denial and around and around they go. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't honestly report what you did because you're afraid of something, right? What are we afraid of? Again, going back to it, APTA supports what you're doing. The law supports what you're doing. Ethics and common sense support what you're doing. The only person who doesn't is the insurance company who might have to pay back not even, pay, I mean, it's the person's money. They might have to pay back some of the money that they've been paid in premiums. And this is a total sidebar, but <laughs> is physical therapy not the single most economically intelligent use of money in the healthcare system? Are you kidding me? You think they're worried about $200 or whatever they're reimbursing in California, $37? When you're preventing surgeries and future issues and all of those things, I mean, let's be real here too. If we were going to say on a bang for your buck amount, I don't think it gets any better than physical therapy and certainly not than pelvic floor physical therapy. I'll pay whatever it takes to make my junk feel okay. Don't you think that we have a role, for instance, if someone's going to have like a prolapse surgery rate at the recurrence failure rate of as high as it is like don't you think that we have value in prehabbing somebody that is going to go through a prolapse surgery and figuring out what their pressure problem is before they get that sling put in oh my gosh like there are so many instances where this is true for us like we just have to get out of our own way sometimes about trying to do all this rule following of, and where we don't even understand where the rules are coming from. Perfect. So I think that is a great place, Nicole, to kind of summarize here. We would say that there is no true distinction between physical therapy and wellness or prevention or maintenance or health promotion or fitness, as the APTA says. That that distinction comes solely from the bottom line profit numbers of insurance companies, not from the law not from our professional organizations, and certainly not from common sense. And at the end of the day, it's about going back and asking again, what role do we have in our patient's life? How do we add value? How do we offer that? And then let the patient make an informed decision. So I think that that hopefully summarizes our thoughts on this. If you guys do have any questions, please reach out, let us know. Or challenges. Um, like, I yeah. mean, I feel like there's a lot of times where we can say all this stuff and everyone's like, yeah. And then you go back and maybe your insurance-based clinic is trying to add wellness services. And now they're having you trying to, right? They're the ones that are asking you like, well, where are we going to draw the distinction between whatever? I mean, I feel like if you really get into it, you can ask them, tell them, listen to this podcast and see like, how are you at? You're asking me to do an impossible thing. But we do understand that there are some constraints in that area. And so if you're having challenges in this, if you still can't get your mind around it, this doesn't have to be the last podcast on it. And we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. It's, it's that important of a topic because it is something, it's been a self-limiting belief, I think, in the field for a long time. And it's really, really important to be able to not just intellectually feel that, but feel that all the way down into your bones and feel like you have more to offer than just getting somebody out of their immediate problem, their immediate pain, but actually optimizing somebody's life. The active pursuit of optimal health sounds like a pretty worthwhile goal to me. So for all of our stuff, guys, make sure to check out pelvicptrising.com. And as always, we want to keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise. Rise.